we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatments of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to the Animal Voices radio show, Western Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio CFRO in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on unceded Coast Salish territories. Today is Friday, May the 1st, 2020. I am your host, April Lafleur, and I am joined here today by my guest co-host, Leah Thompson. Hi. And Grace Wampold. Hello. Welcome, everyone. May is actually a special month for me because it's International Respect for Chickens Month. I love chickens, and I hope to do some programming on these beloved animals later this month. But for today, we have a few other very relevant topics to cover. And once again, we are here for another week of original programming at Animal Voices in these pandemic times. The radio station is still physically locked down, but we bring you this show via the wonders of recording and Skype technology. I am seeing our guest co-host very clearly right now on Skype, Leah and Grace. I love your rainbow sweatshirt, Leah, and your beautiful smile, Grace. You are literally smiling into the camera for me. Thank you. Well, anyways, it's been in the news lately that our local animal prison, the Vancouver Aquarium, is asking for a $9.5 million bailout from our government as they say they have been losing $3.3 million per month since the entertainment facility has been shut down for visitors since March 17th because of COVID restrictions. And now they're asking the government and the community for help to keep the facility which houses 70,000 animals. A lot of them are land animals, and they want this money to keep the facility operating at the bare minimum. For our first interview today, we'll have local anti-captivity activist Annalise Sorg on the show from the organization No Whales in Captivity to present to us her letter of petition to the government that she has on change.org to call for a stop to this multi-million dollar bailout for a non-essential business. Next up, we'll have a feature interview with Dr. Salesh Rao of the organization Climate Healers. I've been wanting to have him on the show for a long time now. And Grace, you had the opportunity or the honor to do this interview. I'm so glad with how it turned out. Can you just tell our listeners a bit about what you spoke about with Dr. Rao? Absolutely. Yeah. So Dr. Rao has a Pinky Promise tour and we talked a little bit about how his granddaughter influenced his activism and his understanding of how we relate to other species. Additionally, we talked about the coronavirus and some more metaphysical sides of our transition from being a caterpillar to being the butterfly world after coronavirus, where we are actually going to be healing our climate actively, which he believes will happen around the year 2026. So very deep conversations with Dr. Rao. Yes, and please stay tuned for that. That's coming up later on in the show. So in reflecting on topics to discuss on this week's show, I realized that this week on April 28th actually was the one year anniversary of the Meet the Victims Canada action that took place on April the 28th, 2019 when 200 of us animal advocates woke up very early one morning, a Sunday morning, and took a bus to an undisclosed location in Abbotsford, which happened to be the Excelsior Hog Farm, which is a factory farming family facility that houses and exploits and farms thousands and thousands of pigs there. So about 50 of us actually went onto the property. We trespassed. We made it into a barn. And for Animal Voices, I reported extensively with live video streaming footage of what we're experiencing that day as we are entering the barn. We are on lockdown in that barn for about six hours. 
before we left because we wanted the mainstream media to attend and that demand was made. And as a result of this, we have these live videos that still have thousands of views to this day on our Facebook page. I reposted it the other day if you want to check there, Animal Voices Vancouver. And we have a couple of very well-made radio shows, podcasts that still live on our website and on iTunes and Google Play. If you just search Meet the Victims, you can find out more. Now, Grace and Leah, I know you weren't present at the Meet the Victims Canada action last year, but I know that you are informed about it. You've seen the videos. You've probably seen lots of photos and lots of reporting from other activists. So I'm wondering what your thoughts were on this. Yeah, Allison, I mean, I've seen some of the footage and I know that the barn manager did agree to let the media in. And I was just wondering what it was like interacting with the people at the farm and the police. Yeah, so for a factory farm that houses, we were just in one barn, you know, thousands of animals, there are actually no farmers inside the barn because they're basically, those animals are just, they're suffering by themselves for most of the time. However, when we did walk in, the owner of the farm was, uh, as we were walking through the hallway, past the little area for premature, like extra small little piglets where they were put into cages with heat lamps. We're walking down that hallway and I was making a right into the gestation room, which is the room that we stayed in. We occupied that room, gestation room being hundreds of cages where I counted about 200 mother pigs who were going to be locked in there for three months. They were in very confined cages, which were basically just the length of their body and the width of their body. They could not turn around. They could barely stand up and sit down to get any movement. They had a lot of sores on their on their limbs from having to push down on the iron bars all the time. Their poor bodies. There was a lot of blood in that room pigs with open wounds not being treated. I happened to witness a stillbirth of a mother pig like happened right in front of me. I took a video of that. That's on our live stream. But getting back to my interaction with a farmer, he basically was really upset. He was standing there. He didn't have any biosecurity hazard wear on like we did. He was standing there in his jeans and t-shirt and just saying, this is private property, but he couldn't stop us because 50 of us were marching in. And yeah, the police were pretty much on site by then too. And we had one police officer in there the whole time negotiating with our team of negotiators. Basically what we wanted was to have the media come in so that they could actually, the mainstream media, so that they could take an official report of what was happening in here. So that's in a nutshell, since our time's almost over. Of, of what happened. Yeah, I have to say that was a super profound experience for me and for everyone else who was there. I've seen others of our fellow activists posting on Facebook this week, if, if you've noticed that as well, just pictures and photographs of how it was represented for them and the feelings that are coming from deep within. And I just can't believe that, you know, we, we saw all those animals there. The ones that were there are dead now. There are new animals there to replace them. And this will keep continuing until one day we reach that critical moment, which Dr. Rao was saying is happening now, right? And I was just reposting more articles today on our Facebook page about how slaughterhouses, a Tyson plant just shut down today in the U.S. Slaughterhouses, they're shutting down. And once again, if you'd like to get more information about what this action was, meet the victims, it's been happening around the world. And the first one in Canada took place April 28th, 2019. You can search for hashtag meet the victims Canada on social media and also visit our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver and our website, animalvoices.org. This is your big chance, so don't blow it. We're here to present the cutting-edge radio you want to hear. What about a program featuring just local Vancouver bands? No market for that. We have an expert on gospel music. No. Our public affairs programs dig deep with voices other stations won't touch. No. Programs with First Nations hosts? Sorry, no market for that. We've got a lot of shows in other languages for people all over the world. Folk music? (laughs) You're kidding, right? Who would sponsor that? Can't make big bucks with programs people want to hear? You have to go to Co-op Radio for that. 
Community-owned radio, now at 100.5 FM, the switch is on. For our first interview today, we have longtime anti-captivity activist with us, Annalise Sorg. She is the co-founder of the organization No Whales in Captivity and has been the president of this organization since 1992. So she knows a lot about the history of what's been happening with places like the Vancouver Aquarium for decades now. And just off the cuff of in the last few weeks news that... The Vancouver Aquarium is one of these businesses that are suffering from our global pandemic, that's COVID-19, and they're saying that they're losing $3.3 million a month because they can't have people go and pay to see their animals imprisoned. Never knew it was that much. So Annalise has a campaign. It's a petition called No Government Bailout, and it's on change.org. And I think you just put it out yesterday, Annalise. It already has several hundred signatures. Welcome back to the show, Annalise. It's so good to have you here today. Oh, thank you. It's always great to be on your show. And it's awesome that, you know, this show has been going on for 20 years, I guess, now. It's just incredible. Good work. That's right. So first of all, can you tell us about why you wrote this letter and what the main request is of the letter? Well, basically, it's saying that the aquarium is not an essential service and therefore should not be bailed out by the government. I mean, good Lord, we're, we've got so many issues to deal with. And uh, this aquarium decided after a month of shutdown that they wanted to get uh, $9.5 million out of the government to uh, stay open, well, closed, to stay closed, but keep the animals. And we're saying, no, the time has come to basically shut the aquarium down Because, of course, the other situation is that they should really become a sanctuary. But they've never, the Vancouver Aquarium has never supported any kind of sanctuary project. So we know that they will not even consider that. If it's not making money, they're not interested. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? I mean, the aquarium states that it's a conservation organization. They do have their marine mammal rescue portion, which they're not running right now. And they've been approached by the Whale Sanctuary Project, which is actually looking to find a location. It was either going to be on the West Coast or East Coast on Canada. They settled on the East Coast. And they were trying to find an appropriate location where cetaceans could be, that's whales and dolphins, could be released back into the ocean after they had been captured and rehabilitated. And the aquarium said no. I was so shocked to hear that. but And that just shows you that what you're saying is right. They they want their profits. And as you said, they've asked for a 9.5 million bailout, but they've already raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, like just in in two days this week, I saw a press release. <laughs> Did you see that? Can you tell us more about that? I can't remember exactly how much it was. A million dollars they've raised by selling face masks through the Whitecaps, the soccer team. And, you know, That's good. I mean, they're going to need money to close it down, but they shouldn't get money in order to just continue business as usual. And I think that that's the key word here. You know, it should never be business as usual again. Certainly the aquarium, people say the aquarium is a conserver of animals. No, the aquarium is a consumer of animals because those animals that you see in cages and tanks, you know, in surrounded by show stadiums, they basically die and the tanks have to be replenished. So the aquarium is constantly capturing and purchasing and breeding animals in order to replenish their uh, their displays. And this is something that is just consuming animals. Uh, we know that this industry is for entertainment. There is no interest in conservation when they're not willing to help with the whale sanctuary project or any kind of real sanctuary project. So, uh, you know, we're, we're faced with a business that is 
hiding behind a charitable society status in order not to pay taxes, not to pay rent. They make $46 million a year and they haven't prepared for any kind of emergency. Contrast that to the Vancouver Zoo, which I'm not fond of. And of course, we're not, we don't want any animals in captivity. But the point is that the Vancouver Zoo has been able to not need to be bailed out because, of course, they have emergency funds to turn to. The aquarium has not done any kind of emergency funding. And so now they are supposedly out of money. Um, hard to believe, and especially because, you know, the fact that they came out a month after the closure, they're already coming out saying, oh, you know, if you don't give us 9.5 million, we're going to have to close altogether. Well, that's really hard to believe it. If it had been, you know, at least a few months or something, but no, it's right away. They saw the fundraising opportunity and uh, of course they went for it. Yeah, from what I understand as well, I believe it's an online fundraiser where just even wealthy people from Vancouver have donated, which is really sad because that means they still don't know the truth. They still haven't seen the film Vancouver Vancouver Aquarium Uncovered, which I will post on our website. It's also on YouTube still, I believe, and our website's animalvoices.org. That is an expose basically in video images of what is happening at this place. Now, of course, the aquarium, no longer has dolphins and whales except for Helen I believe which and they're trying to trying to sell Helen right so that is because of the work that activists did in Vancouver several years ago where we had that ban placed on the Vancouver Aquarium taking in new cetaceans for display and then Bill S203 came shortly after that which is a federal ban of cetaceans in captivity and that is as as you say because public support for keeping captive animals continues to decline so you're seeing this and it's interesting because for our next feature interview with Dr. Rao he speaks about this as well as how we're in a chrysalis time right now where humanity is on the brink of disaster and so we're re- yeah. yeah we're reevaluating what is considered to be important essential what we should go out and pay for what we cannot put our dollars towards maybe rethinking about how animals are being harmed so much in our ex- exploitation because it's the use of animals that got us into this place of a pandemic. So I'm wondering, what I was getting to is that they don't have cetaceans, but they have 70,000 animals. First, I just wanted to touch on that quickly. Can you speak a little bit about, I can't even imagine 70,000 animals being in that place because I don't go there. (laughs) Who's who's imprisoned? Oh my goodness, who isn't? I mean, Not only do they have marine animals of all sorts, they have walruses, they have sea lions, seals, of course, still the last dolphin, they have otters, they have penguins, and then they have a whole gallery, an Amazon gallery with a sloth, monkeys, boas, all sorts of arowana fish from the rivers, the Amazon rivers, caimans that are like crocodile spiders, I mean, birds, you know. It's just a zoo in there. It it truly is a zoo. And the time has come for the aquarium to realize that live animals are a solution, that we need to have them. If they're going to stay, if the Vancouver Aquarium is going to stay in Stanley Park, they really change their business model into something that is cruelty-free. And that would mean holograms and so on. I mean, I see there's a mall in Dubai that has these holograms. People are just walking down the the the, the mall there, and and this suddenly this the the in front of them it turns into ocean, and this dolphin jumps out and it interacts with the little kids, and it's all holograms. Yeah, I mean it's it's seven it's seven D. There is no reason the animals suffer and the ecology collapse because they insist on having live animal displays. In this day and age, this should be outlawed, really. 
Yes, thank you for that final thought. I think we've covered a lot. We want to see the aquarium stop housing these 70,000 animals and either put them into sanctuary and they can still become a profitable business by putting on these virtual displays that I've seen that same one you have and I've seen them elsewhere as well. They really are and truly are the future. So to find the petition by No Whales in Captivity, you can find it on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver, and on our website, animalvoices.org. Thank you so much for our brief chat today, Annalise, and be safe. Thank you, and you too. Due to the COVID-19 outbreak, the programming schedule at Co-op Radio has been altered. You may hear repeats of old programming, pre-recorded episodes, and special broadcasts overriding certain shows. Thank you for your listenership and patience during this time. And remember to wash your hands. For today's feature interview, we welcome Dr. Salesh Rao, an environmental scientist who believes the world is capable of overcoming climate change, but only if everyone adopts a plant-based diet by the year 2026. Dr. Rao is the author of two books and is the executive producer of four documentaries, which includes What the Hell and Cowspiracy. He also serves as the founder and executive director of Climate Healers, a nonprofit organization dedicated towards healing the Earth's climate and creating an inclusive global community, nurturing and accelerating a shift in human behavior towards a balanced, regenerative presence on Earth for all. Dr. Rao's background is actually a system specialist, and he earned his PhD in electrical engineering from Stanford University. He went on to help modernize the infrastructure of the internet today and communications in its earliest years. In today's interview, we will be speaking about how humans can heal the earth and prevent extinction in this time of climate change and pandemic crisis. Hello, doctor, and welcome to Animal Voices. Thank you for having me. In 2006, I know that you switched careers and became deeply immersed in the environmental crisis. I just wanted to start by asking you what was going through your mind that led to this profound change and what has kept you on this trajectory? In 2005, I was working on making the internet 10 times faster, so 10 gigabit ethernet. And I happened to come home one day, turned on the TV, and there was Al Gore talking about climate change. So it was before the movie An Inconvenient Truth had come out. So it was um, a presentation that he was making to activists in San Francisco, and someone had videotaped it, and they put it on um, Link TV. So when I saw that, I was rooted to my sofa. I couldn't get up. I mean, I couldn't just stop watching it, and I was shocked. If half of what he's saying is true, I realized I'm wasting my time working on making the Internet even faster. So I decided to study the problem. And within a couple of months, I realized it's far worse than what he's saying. So that's when I decided to shut down our company and so that I can focus on this full time. So then I wrote to Mr. Gore and I said, how can I help you? Uh, I didn't hear from him for, for a while. Um, but sometime in August of 2006, I got a letter from them, from Mr. Gore's organization, asking if I would like to come and get trained by him. So I said yes, and so I, I went and got trained by him in November of 2006 to present what he was um, talking about. And so I um, agreed to give that presentation for, I think, 10 times over the next year. During that time, I kept studying, and I realized you know, that that was not enough, that we need to go beyond what he was doing. So I started Climate Healers in 2007, Basically, at that time, you know, I was focused on what can we do to heal the climate as opposed to preventing it from getting much worse than it already is, which is, I think, which was the focus I saw of Al Gore's organization. So I wanted to reverse it instead of just keeping it where it is or, you know, not making it get much worse. Wow, thank you for that. Yeah, I've, I've been really inspired by your work and I've been going through your website recently and It was interesting to hear that you'd worked with Cowspiracy. I've used a lot of those comprehensive facts from Cowspiracy in my personal activism and outreach, things such as, you know, how 
the water from two months worth of showering is equal to the water used just to produce one hamburger. Mm -hmm. And so that was a huge motivation for me to go vegan. And I'm sure you're often told that. So before we get into your current projects, I was just curious about how you got involved with that project. And Mm -hmm. when did you realize that that would have such a profound impact on veganism in the world? 2008, I realized that going vegan is... um, absolutely essential if you wanted to reverse climate change, right? So I went vegan in 2008, and then I tried to persuade Al Gore and Al Gore's organization to talk about veganism. I gathered about 75 of my colleagues who had also been trained by Al Gore, and we wrote a letter to him, okay? And we got a reply back from him saying, it's not as bad as you think, you know? So, so let's not confuse people. Let's focus on fossil fuels. So that was the gist of his letter. So then I thought, okay, maybe he's right. Maybe I need to study more, right? See, at that time, the FAO had said that animal agriculture was responsible for 18% of greenhouse gas emissions. And then uh, Goodland and Anhang had written the report saying that it is at least 51%. I was writing to Al Gore because of Goodland and Anhang's report. So then I... uh, I thought, well, maybe Goodland and Hannah are not right, and, and uh, FAO's numbers are correct, so maybe I should wait. So then there was a debate in the Animal Feed Science and Technology Journal between the FAO scientists and Goodland and Hannah. During that debate, the FAO scientists first tried to refute Goodland and Hannah's report, and Goodland and Hannah were asked to rebut and said they did a, a comprehensive rebuttal, at the end of which the FAO scientists declined to continue the debate. So this happened between 2011 and 2012. So in 2012, Goodland and Anhan's work was established science as far as I was concerned. Because if the other side does not want to debate, it means they're wrong, right? That's how science works. <laughs> so I said, okay, this time, you know, this is serious. And if we are not going to talk about animal agriculture, we are wasting our time, right? Al Gore's organization, he is not teaching people the real truth about what is going on. So I wrote another letter and I got all my colleagues to co-sign it. And this time I didn't hear from him. I didn't hear from his organization. And they even became a little hostile towards my work. And I saw the clip from Cowspiracy. Kip and Keegan had been working on Cowspiracy in parallel. I didn't even know that they were doing that. And then when they lost their funding, they sent out an email to a lot of vegan activists uh, with a small clip of their documentary asking for support. So I saw the clip and I said, this is exactly what I've been, what I have been doing too. I've been trying to get Al Gore to talk about this and I couldn't get him to do it. So I wrote to Kip and Keegan and I asked if I could watch the whole documentary so that I can come in as an executive producer. And they let me, they gave me a link to it and I watched it and then I said, we are in, you know, I want to help you out. So that's how it became part of the documentary. And then I helped them with the research after, um, once Cowspiracy came out, we weren't sure if it was going to be big. We weren't sure if people are going to even watch, you know, watch it like it became, right? Initially, it was just us going, you know, Kip and Keegan were going, doing a tour and I was helping them arrange the tour so they could go and screen it in different cities. So I got them uh, a venue to screen it in Phoenix, Arizona. And then, Once Leonardo DiCaprio saw it and he said, I want to put it on Netflix, that's when it really took off. So when he said he wanted to put it on Netflix, his team went through all of the facts in conspiracy. So they wanted to wet it and make sure that everything is correct, right? And in the process, they had doubts about Goodland and Anang's work. So the 51%, they wanted to take that out of the documentary. And so that's when I stepped in and I said, no, I've been following the debate. I know this is correct. In fact, here is, here is the debate that happened in, this, in the Animal Free Science and Technology Journal. So I sent them all that data and so finally they let us keep it in. So then Leonardo DiCaprio put his name on it and it went on Netflix and then it just took off. Wow, that is incredible. The inclusion of that debate as well because I think a lot of people with conspiracy the facts are so visceral that it's hard to believe it sometimes. And so to know that it went through that process before getting to Netflix 
speaks to how well-researched and how important that film really is. Yeah, that's incredible. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO. 100% listener-sponsored radio broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. So now you can talk more about the current work you're doing. So I know you're working really hard to make that message clear of a vegan world by 2026. So I was wondering if you could tell us more about that current project you're working on, the Pinky Promise Tour, how you came up with the name for that series, and just some details about the how and the when that this will take place now that it's virtual. Basically, I was doing research, right? So, and I wanted to make sure that my research was independent. So I wasn't taking any funding from any foundations for climate healers. I was just working on it um, using our savings. In the process, I found out that wild animals are dying at a really fast pace. Okay? So between 1970 and 2010, 52% of wild animals disappeared in terms of total weight. And so this was in the report from the World World Wildlife Fund, Living Planet Report. So that came out in 2014. So it takes them like four years to compile all the data. And so they give you the data for 2010 in 2014. And when I saw that, I went back and looked at, okay, what was the status of wild animals in 1970? It's not as if they were pristine, in pristine condition in 1970. So then I discovered that 60% 60% of wild animals had died between 10,000 years ago and 1970. So this additional 52% was on top of that 60%. So which means by 2010, they were down more than 80% from what they were 10,000 years ago in terms of total biomass. And that shocked me. So then I made a calculation. I said, okay, assume that the wild animals are disappearing at a rate proportional to the economy, the human economy. Then how many more years can we continue growing the economy before they all die out, right? So it's an exponential function. So I calculated that based on the exponential function, and I arrived at 2026. By 2026, they are on track, we are on track to wipe them out if we follow that exponential model, right? And I was shocked, and I said, why isn't every biologist screaming this from the top of the roof, right? Why isn't this front and center in in, um, mainstream media? So I thought, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my model's not correct. It's not an exponential function. Maybe it'll tail off. Then I started studying the literature. And so there was another, there was a model that was being used to uh, predict how fast wild animals will die out, and it turned out to be a predator-prey model. So, so it's a model in which, you know, which is typical for how tigers and deer behave with each other. Right? So as the deer population dies out, the tiger population also dies out in that model, yeah? and because there's nothing for the tiger to eat. So then the deer population goes up again, and then the tiger population goes up again. So you have this predator-prey model that it's a set of differential equations that people are using. And they were applying that to humanity and nature. So I wrote to the authors and I said, are you sure that this is a valid model for humanity and nature? I mean, humans are not like tigers. If it's hard for them to catch the prey, they'll just build better technology to go catch them, right? Isn't that how humans behave? So, and the response I got back from the authors was shocking. They said, oh my God, we hadn't thought of that type of response, right? So... That's when I said, okay, that's it. This is going to happen. But I want to wait for the next World Wildlife Fund's Living Planet report to confirm. And that came out in 2016. In 2016, it said that between 1970 and 2012, 58% of wild animals had died. So it was 52% by 2010, 58% by 2012. So if you just extrapolate that out, by 2026, it's going to be 100%. So that's when I said, okay, this is urgent and people are using bad models. And so either they don't want to know or they just don't know. So I have to make this 
front and center of the work that we do at Climate Healers. So I was thinking about that. This was on the front of my mind. And that evening, I was reading a story to my granddaughter in bed. So my granddaughter has really helped me a lot in, in all of my research because she has the eyes of someone who hasn't seen violence. Right? So she points out all the violence in, that's normal in my life. I was reading her a story in bed. And at the end of the story, she asked me, Grandpa, who were the first human beings? And I tried to explain to her about evolution and how evolution works. I said, imagine that you're standing on the street and you're holding your mom by your hand. And you ask your mom to bring her mother and to stand by her side. So this way you create a long line of mothers on this side of the street. Then on the other, other side of the street, you ask a chimpanzee to do the same thing with her mother and her grandmother and so on. By the time these two lines go from Phoenix to Tucson, they would merge. Because both lines are going to say, hey, that's my mother too. Immediately she just sat up in bed. She said, what? Are you telling me that animals are my family? And, you know, I hadn't put it together like that. So when she said that to me, I said, yeah, now that you put it that way, they are your family. She said, then, why are people eating my family? Grandpa, make them stop. They're eating my family. And she started bawling. And I was, you know, my job was to put her to, to bed. And here's, here I have the baby screaming at me and crying. Right? So, and I said, Kimaya, stop. You know, I'm, I'm trying. In fact, this is what I do. It's my job to make people stop eating animals. So immediately she looked at me and she said, this is your job? This is your job? You know you haven't done your job? So when will you do your job? And I told her, I have to do it by 2026. Otherwise, we are all in big trouble. Wow, that is quite devastating. I would say that your granddaughter is more thoughtful and has a more profound understanding of the world than a lot of people to come to that conclusion so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she I made me give her a pinky promise saying, you know, will you promise me that? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll promise you that. She said, will you give me a pinky promise? And I said, okay, I'll give you a pinky promise. I didn't even know what it meant. And she told me that you can never, ever break a pinky promise. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I went to sleep. You know, I mean, she went to sleep and I went to sleep. So the next day I was thinking, who am I to promise something like that, you know? But then as I thought about it, I realized I am a system specialist. My job is to bring people together to make something like this to happen, right? This is what system specialists are supposed to do. So that's how the Vegan World 2026 project was born. And at first I went around just talking about it to people. I spent about a year going around giving talks. And I was giving a talk at uh, Rowdy Girl Sanctuary in Texas in May of 2018. And Jane Bellas Mitchell was there and she was taking a, she was going live on my talk. And so at the end of that talk, she put her camera down and she said, this is the most amazing thing that I've ever heard. And I'm gonna help you in any way I can. So this is how, you know, and then Renee came and gave me a pinky promise. <laughs> so this is, this is how it became bigger and bigger and bigger. And so more and more activists got involved. Um, and so we had our first conference in October of 2018. We had a second conference in October of 2019. And so now we have a large group of people working on different aspects of what a vegan world would look like. So the community is coming together to make this happen. So as part of that, I'm doing this Pinky Promise tour. I did a tour in November of last year. And the, uh, the idea behind the tour is to go talk to people about this and then show them why it is not only possible to make, uh, make the world vegan by 2026, but actually we are on track. We are already on track to get there. So when you show people that, then they get energized and then they say, hey, you know, I want that too. So then they come along and help you, right? So if people believe it cannot be done, they won't help you. But if people believe it can be done, they come and help you. So I did that tour in India. And so now I wanted to do the same kind of tour in North America and the rest of the world. And of course, uh, COVID-19 happened. And because of COVID-19, our plans for a physical tour now it's become a virtual tour. And because it's a virtual tour, I'm speaking to people in India, I'm speaking to people in Australia. I mean, Luxembourg, I mean, it's 
going everywhere. It's become a global tour. Wow. So if and if anything, you've expanded your scope by being able to take the tour virtually. Correct. Yes. It was interesting. It even reminded me when you were talking about the statistics of wild animals on Earth versus humans of a well-fed world. In 2018, they had a report that stated that wild animals left on Earth account for 4% of all remaining land mammals. And 60% of all land mammals are farmed animals, which, yeah, it's just very shocking when you think about the rate at which we've reduced wildlife on Earth on our planet. Yeah, that's based on just weight alone. If you actually analyze that more closely, you will see that farmed animals, even though they are 60% of the weight of mammals on the planet, they're actually eating much more than their weight alone would indicate because they're a very unusual, unnatural mix of mostly young animals because we kill them as soon as they grow up. So because of that, they eat much more than their weight alone would indicate. So they're eating almost double what their weight would indicate. So if, but the planet doesn't care what the animals weigh. You know, The weight of all the animals put together does not even equal the weight of a big mountain. It's what animals eat that matters. In terms of that, our uh, farmed animals are more than almost five times the weight of humans. So if you do that calculation in more detail, you'll discover that wild animals are only responsible for like 2% or less. Uh, wow. The biomass is being, being eaten on the planet, yeah. Yeah. So if this tour is taking place virtually, just for people who are listening, can you tell us a little bit about how to access it and how people can be involved with the tour? Absolutely. So we have a web page on Climate Healers. So it's go to climatehealers.org slash tour. And you'll see a calendar and then you can decide when you want me to talk or what kind of event you want. And then there is a, an email that you can send to pinkypromisetour at gmail.com and someone will get in touch with you and you can arrange that. Then we'll add you to our calendar. Oh, that's great. I was looking through the tour and the different aspects of it and I noticed there's the Mother Earth Aid stories. I was just wanted to know how you know, you feel after the first week of online touring, because I know you started a few days ago, and how you decided to add in these 15-minute Mother Earth Aid stories into the tour. Yeah, Mother Earth Aid Live is a uh, concert series. Go Vegan Radio is sponsoring, and its objective is to allow artists to have live concerts online and for people to then support the artists and then some of the money the artists donate to hunger programs around the world. So as part of that, you know, um, we talk about why veganism is central to solving climate change on Earth and why veganism is central to solving biodiversity loss on Earth, why veganism is central to solving ecosystems collapse on Earth. So everything centers around this transformation that's happening right now, that the uh, world is going vegan. And so that's what I do in the 15-minute segments about 12 minutes actually he gives me that I can talk about one topic every day for the next thing 12 days oh that certainly adds up yeah that's that's incredible because it really is all interconnected and I know like that this project really has been in the works for such a long time and the unprecedented growth of COVID-19 I'm sure has kind of affected that in a couple ways I just wanted to know how your message has pivoted in response or if you've altered or reassessed what your main takeaways are for the Pinky Promise Tour in response to the global pandemic. Yeah, the global pandemic. See, I always assume that nature is is in charge. The study of the thermostat species says that we have been part of nature all along. And in the last 10,000 years, our job was to keep the thermostat constant, the temperature of the earth constant. And we had been doing that. And then over the last 200 years, we increased it by one degree Celsius. We increased the temperature by one degree Celsius. Okay? And in the process, we developed all the tools and technologies we need to understand what we did in the first 10,000 years, because otherwise we wouldn't even know that's what we were doing. And then we now have the opportunity to become conscious thermostat species. So I saw the first 10,000 years as part of 
part of the process that we had to go through as a species, right? It's the growth process that we went through. So I saw that that's the caterpillar phase. And so I knew that, you know, in fact, I wrote a couple of books, Carbon Dharma and Carbon Yoga, based on the same theme of metamorphosis. So I said, you know, human beings are like caterpillars and we are going to now transform to butterflies. So so we have to go through the, the chrysalis phase to get to the butterfly. And I was using that as a metaphor, right, of what is happening. When COVID-19 happened, I said, this is it. This is the chrysalis phase. We are in the chrysalis phase now. So nature is literally doing this. Nature is literally getting us into a chrysalis phase. Because I always wondered, how is it that the caterpillar knows when to stop and get into the chrysalis phase? Must be something in nature that gives the caterpillar a signal saying, now it's time to stop. And now we go into the chrysalis phase. And then think about what are you going to be when you get out of this. So then, you know, it becomes a butterfly. And so then, you know, when this when COVID-19 happened and we got into lockdown, I began to think about this as part of the process that we are going through in nature because we have already, our economy had already been too big for the earth. So nature could no longer tolerate us in that path. So now, you know, we've had our economy shrink by, I don't know, 40% in two months. And skies are clearing up and people are saying hey i prefer the sky to be as clear as this i don't want to go back to the way it was so we are all thinking right we are all being thinking about what are we going to be when we get out of this and i don't think it's going to be a short-term process and that we'll go back to being normal the way it was before i don't think we'll ever go back to being caterpillars again people are going to think before they go on a cruise again People are going to think before they go on a vacation again, like where, I mean, unnecessary things are not going to get done. So I think this is a a change in phase of humanity. It's a massive shift in how we are going to relate to nature in the future. So people are already talking about our relationship with animals, that it's through the animals that we got this virus. There's a message from the animals. So there's a lot of discussion happening around that. So I see this as the chrysalis phase, and it gives us an opportunity to think about how are we going to behave as butterflies. So because a butterfly is a very discriminating consumer, right? she only sips nectar from flowers. And as she sips nectar from the flowers, she pollinates the flowers, she regenerates life. And so she undoes the damage that happened in the caterpillar phase. And that's exactly what we are going to be doing. Okay? So I see this as the exponential transformation to a vegan world. I love that. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you do bring that up. Just last night, I was talking with my partner about that process and how in the chrysalis phase, caterpillars become highly organized goo, that you're not going from caterpillar directly into butterfly. When a caterpillar goes into its chrysalis, it fully dissolves into itself and just becomes its components. There's no backwards reaction from butterfly to caterpillar. It's an entirely new entity from the same substance, you know. So it's, you know, I was going to ask you kind of what you think the most important message is during this time. But in many ways, I feel that you did answer that. But would you say you have kind of a main single takeaway in response to this this disease? Yeah, initially we react with fear because this is, this is a massive shift in how we've been acting all along. So it's, it's, a, it's a big, big change in our lives, right? So when we react with fear when a big change like that happens. And then I'd say, please get over fear and then look at what is, what is nature trying to tell us? Accept that you're part of something much larger and see the wisdom in nature. I mean, everything in nature fits exactly as it is and so this gave me the assurance that we also fit exactly as we are that we do belong exactly as we are and so so then begin to accept the situation and of course going vegan this is a very important time for if you're not vegan please do it right now because it's going to help not just in your spiritual well-being but also your physical health it will make you more immune to COVID-19. Not that you're not going to get it, you're going to get it, but if you get it, it, it's difficult for it to become a serious illness, right? Because the statistics are saying that 99% of the people who came to the hospitals 
with COVID-19 had other conditions like diabetes, heart disease, lung disease, or uh, hypertension. And all of those can be addressed with a whole food plant-based vegan diet. And in fact, can be addressed very quickly. So knowing that, I think it's time for us to make that shift. This is what nature is calling us to do and leave the animals alone so that they can lead their peaceful lives away from us. And then think about your gifts. What are you going to become as a butterfly? How are you going to contribute to others? I think that's what a butterfly face is about. And of course, we need to change our whole, you know, the way we deal with each other, the way we organize as a society, all of that is going to change. That's the goo that we are in right now. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, on that note, like, especially with this, I've noticed with staying home as the most appropriate action to take to keep yourself healthy and the people you love healthy, you know, it's hard sometimes for people to comprehend that because it's, you don't see COVID in front of you the same way that climate change, even though it very much is facing us every day, your daily actions don't always speak to the reality of climate change. And so when explaining how veganism can help the climate, I think that people kind of understand that a little better now, having gone through quarantine and doing something that helps everyone without you knowing that on a day-to-day basis, right. that your daily actions really are impacting the world. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, if we are uh, if we are able to be in quarantine and we're able to eat a good meal in quarantine, we are so lucky, right? We are we are really privileged because there are a lot of people who are doing so-called essential work, and that really means that they have no choice but to go and do that work. In, many cases otherwise it's hard for them to put food on the table so it's not that you know there are some people who are quarantined and who don't have job so there's so many people like that that we need to help so i think it's in this chrysalis phase we have to figure out how are we going to support each other as we go through this to get to the butterfly phase so we're working on an app around that to help people get good nutritious food immune boosting food and we want it to be free for people who can't afford it. So I think these are the kinds of things that we need to be doing. We need to be thinking about it in this phase. Wow, that's, it's amazing that you mentioned that. I was looking at the Climate Healers website and reading your section entitled that. So for the Homo Ahimsa transformation, and it was talking about, you know, doing things as a as crowdsourcing and I was wondering actually I was going to ask how if you've noticed some of these things playing out now that activism and organization is turning to online media yeah there is a lot of activity in the uh, nonprofit space now on you know people are rethinking what they should be doing I see a lot of openness to veganism people are talking about it openly they're talking about incorporating all the social justice movements into one big movement Actually, I got an email today about Humanity Rising, which is a series of talks that people are giving that everyone can watch that connects a lot of the social justice organizations together. So a lot of that is happening now. This is us thinking about now that the old is done, the caterpillar is done, what are we going to do when we get out of this? How are we going to organize ourselves? How are we going to behave towards nature? can no longer be about domination of the animals and killing them unnecessarily. It's not just about give it to me, give me, give me, give me, right? This is what we have been as the caterpillar. And as the butterfly, it's going to be, what can I do to serve? Yeah, that section also spoke about ahimsa and nonviolence mm-hmm. in an economic approach. And I was a little curious about that. So how do you see open sourcing and software-assisted eco-governments being integrated into this world in its next phase? Yeah, it's uh, wide open. Okay, It's not that I have all the answers. I just, I'm a system specialist, so which means I know that these pieces have to be there. Okay, And now I, we need to get economic experts to come and help us define a nonviolent economy. How does a nonviolent economy work? How does an economy work within the bounds of the ecosystem? So we are looking at Kate Roberts' uh, donut economics. So there is a whole team working on that. Uh, Keith Akers is working on that, you know. So And then how do we fulfill our role as the caretaker species? So how do we do stewardship of nature? How do we bring back the forest that we lost? 
because we cut down a lot of forests and we've been cutting them down every year. So it's now how do you bring those back, the ones that we lost, and return land, how do you return land back to nature? How do you remedy the remediation of the land so that you get rid of the, some, a lot of the chemical poisoning that has happened on land? So bringing back agroforestry. So there is a lot of work to be done that uh, has to be defined and people have to come and put in their efforts. So we need to create an economic system around that, not around just consumption, which is the, the current economy. Yeah, I mean, in some senses we don't realize, but that is our consumption, like using f- fuel and fiber and fodder, cutting down trees is us consuming them regardless of whether or not it's our right, I would say, or if it is correct to take down trees. But I, I do want, with our limited time left, I wanted to ask, what do you look forward to in this upcoming year? What do you look forward to as your virtual tour continues? I look forward to speaking with people, speaking with people like you, because every time I speak to people, I get ideas, get more ideas. And so it's not just, you know, one way. It's not that I'm communicating to people and giving a presentation to people. But through the Q&A at the end of the presentation, I get a lot back from the people. So it's an interactive session that goes on. It's an interactive exchange that happens, you know, when I do that. So uh, I look forward to that growth. I mean, it happens every day. In fact, we had a summit. So I spoke to actually 19 different experts. And... Every time I speak to an expert in a certain topic, I'm able to synthesize what they're saying with, with what other experts were saying to me, you know, and, and put it all together into something that makes sense. So I see the patterns that come along, right, when you speak to experts. So uh, that's how some of the solutions that we are working on came about, just synthesizing from different fields. I look forward to that because this we are in a very new era now, right? The chrysalis phase. And people do realize that something has changed. Everyone I've spoken to around the world, they are saying that, yeah, something has changed. COVID-19 has really changed the way we think about things. Yeah, truly. <laughs> so with that then, you know, the idea of six years left, according to your calculations for the world to go vegan... We have a pretty broad scope of listeners to our radio program, and I was wondering what you would say to the listeners that are more skeptical or resistant to making these changes in their everyday life. Yes, yeah, I normally ask when people who, when I have, when I speak to a mixed audience like that, I ask people, would you ever deliberately hurt an innocent animal unnecessarily? And everyone usually says, no, of course not. We wouldn't do that. And I say, then in your heart, you're already vegan. Because that is veganism. Okay? Veganism just means that if I don't have to hurt animals, I shouldn't. And I think more, a lot of us are fortunate to be in a position where we don't have to hurt animals anymore for our daily life. So if that being the case, we shouldn't. That is just coming into alignment with who we really are. It's no you know, great undertaking that I'm doing. I'm just doing what comes natural to me. I'm just getting my actions in alignment with who I really am. That's all I'm doing, right, as a vegan. So knowing that, you know, it becomes people's journey. It's their own journey to align their actions with who they really are. And the best, what we can do as vegans is to help them, is to show this is what I did. This is how I overcame that particular issue, whichever issue you have. And uh, that way people, we learn from each other and help ourselves get to that space that we all need to get to. Because I see that humanity is done with its job of creating the thermostat. We are done with that job. So now nature is calling us back, saying, you're done with that job. And in fact, you use the animals to do that job. So the animals were actually co-creators of the thermostat that we are now being asked to maintain. And so they gave their lives for it, right? So now it's up to us to give them back the space that we took from them and give them back the life that they want, right? So that they can grow. It's not only a transformation that's going to happen. 
it's an essential transformation that needs to happen for our children and our grandchildren so that we can look back and say, you know, our parents did something amazing for us. Our grandparents did something amazing for us. So as parents and grandparents, we have a responsibility to give a future to our children and grandchildren that they can look forward to, that they can then look back on and thank us. Do we want our children and grandchildren to look back and curse us? No. We are in this era where we, we have a choice. Either go this way or that way. And if we go this way, we're going to cause extinction. If we go that way, we are going to recover. And if we go that way, we are going to recover. And we bring back the forest and we sequester the excess carbon back in, on land. And then we reverse climate change and we can bring back the biodiversity. When we do that, it's a redemption for humanity. It's a redemption for all of us, for the animals as well, right? And so then uh, you would have gone through a phase that will forever be etched in history. And when we make this transformation happen, everyone in the future is going to look back at this era and look back at whoever lived in this era and say, thank you. Wouldn't you want that for your future? So this is, I think, an amazing opportunity that we've been given in this generation to accomplish something. And I say it has to, it will happen in the next six years. So we are so lucky to be alive at this time to be able to accomplish that. I always say when your tower topples in the worst of times, you have the opportunity to look at all of your pieces to make a more sound structure. <laughs> mm -hmm. Next. Yeah. So with that, I just wanted to thank you so much, Dr. Salesh Rao, for your time from the Climate Healers Organization. Thank you for your work, for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge, your diverse past working and contacting Al Gore and Leonardo DiCaprio and talking about how we're in the phase of being in our chrysalises and I hope everyone listening from their chrysalis has heard something that they can resonate with today yeah I just am very happy that we can talk about the steps that we need to take to ensure that our world is saved before it is too late there is an urgency to this situation and so we all thank you for your hard work in getting this information out there so for our listeners for more information on the pinky promise tour and how to join the vegan world 2026 project and all of Dr. Rao's work, go to www.climatehealers.org. You can also follow following pages on Facebook. So Climate Healers, The Pinky Promise Tour, and Prevent Year Zero, Vegan World 2026. So all of these links will be on our website, annabellevoices.org. With that, thank you for your time today and have a really safe afternoon. You've been listening to the Animal Voices Radio Show on 100.5 FM Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Please join us for next week's Mother's Day show on Friday, May the 8th. It will be another week of original programming for Mother's Day. We here at the Animal Voices Show modestly ask you to keep connected with Animal Voices via the World Wide Web. Our past shows can be listened to on our website at animalvoices.com. Org. We have over 10 years of archives there. Our past podcasts are also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Join our Facebook page and join us on Instagram, both at Animal Voices Vancouver. To close the show today, we are playing a piece called A Love Song for Humanity by Jamie Sieber. Stay tuned next for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. Stay safe and remember to be kind to the animals.